Hi, I'm Shay. This is the Rain Out the Bias podcast. When you can't break a habit, have you ever blamed yourself or felt that other people judge you for not being able to? Just like a lot of things in life, it's not all about you. It's also circumstance. Today's show is about a creative way to break a habit. The story is focused on breaking a chocolate bar habit. Your habit could be something else. It doesn't have to be the same one because the information in it can apply to other habits. But if you're somebody like me who eats healthy and exercises, but you have a reflex to want chocolate, specifically chocolate bars, and you can't control it, and it's a compulsion that you don't even enjoy, then you might get specific ideas from it, because that's the example I'm using. The person we're talking about in this show, which is me, was aware, I'm aware, that eating an excessive amount of sugar above the daily recommended amount can lead to health problems as you age like diabetes and heart issues caused by damaged arteries and blood vessels. And excess sugar ages the skin and causes wrinkles. Did you start the year off with a goal to eat healthier or go to sleep earlier or manage time better? How's that going? Did you try last year? The most common New Year's resolutions are to eat healthier and exercise. Most people don't make it past February before giving up. According to one survey, only 10% of U.S. adults stick to it all year. Ugh, who are those people? I'm one of those people. Even though I'm Canadian, I'm going to tell you as much as I know of how I did it. Today's show is about discovering why it was possible, because I actually don't know. Six years ago, in January 2016, it wasn't on my mind to stop eating chocolate bars. It had been on my mind a lot before, but not when I did it. That's why I think it worked. Then with discipline, I did it for the whole year, and it became normal not to ever eat them again. I'd tried to change in the past, but it never stuck. Why was it different this time? Maybe how I did it will help you with whatever habit you'd like to kick. It doesn't have to be chocolate bars, though I know I'm not the only one. I mentioned it to a woman who shows up for her hair appointments in her cycling gear. This is Sarah, not her real name, who is a production manager at a large company. Do you have an addiction to chocolate? I absolutely do. I eat a chocolate bar a day, usually at work. When something goes wrong, I'll run to the vending machine, I'll run up to my desk, chomp it down in a minute. And then I'm back to work and trying to solve a problem. Do you eat one every day? Almost every day, yes. Do you like that you do it? I love the taste, but I don't really want to be eating a chocolate bar every day. I remember as a child, that was always my favorite chocolate bar. And it's maybe just a comfort thing. For the first year, I didn't tell anybody what I was doing because I assumed I wouldn't be sticking to it. But once I did start telling people, they asked me if I noticed a difference after I stopped eating chocolate bars. I think they meant weight. That wasn't really an issue for me. What I had lost was my taste for chocolate bars and candy. What I noticed was that my mood was stable and that I wasn't disappointing myself anymore. I felt in control of making healthy decisions that made me feel good. I still ate chocolate occasionally in baked goods, but in a normal serving amount. I didn't crave them. Oh, except for once. After four years, I ate chocolate chips that were for baking, the way I would have eaten a chocolate bar. 
Overall, my taste buds have mellowed out. I tried making a brownie recipe that called for a chocolate bar. I took a bite. It was too sweet for me. I gave the batch to someone else. Now it's January 2022. I haven't eaten a chocolate bar in six years. And if anyone has seen me take a bite out of chocolate, it's to be polite when they give it to me. I don't eat the rest because I don't want to go back to the way I was. So what happened in 2016 to make this stick? I know when I last got a new computer, because I was transferring files from the old one to the new one when I heard that David Bowie died. He died on January 10th, 2016. And that's also the week that I broke my addiction to chocolate bars. Up until a couple days before he died, I'd been compulsive about chocolate bars, and I didn't like how I felt about myself to eat an extra large bar on autopilot every day. Has anyone ever suggested to you that you get a chocolate bar with a higher cocoa content? because that's what they do, and they only eat one square. I would eat it all like it was one square. And just to note, that's 40 grams of sugar, which converts to 10 teaspoons of sugar. It's common to call that weak-willed and no-willpower. It puts all the blame on the individual. There are facts that tell that there are additional reasons undermining your effort. Fact. Your willpower is also up against food scientists. In the book, Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us, the writer Michael Moss wrote that one chip brand employs 500 chemists, psychologists, and technicians to perfect the bliss point, and they have a $40,000 device to emulate a chewing mouth to find the break point, the perfect pressure in your mouth for the crunch that keeps you coming back. Another reason that's not all your fault is this. In a 2015 study by psychologists at the University of Michigan about which processed foods are addictive based on fat content and glycemic load, chocolate was number one. The day before I found out that David Bowie died, I was cleaning out my old computer files so I didn't transfer junk to my new computer so I didn't go out that day and get a chocolate bar. The world found out about his death on the Monday. I spent my free time that day consuming the retrospectives about his life. I did the same on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I realized I hadn't had a chocolate bar in three days. That hadn't happened in years. I now think it was synergy. Synergy is a combined power of stimuli that is greater than when each is working separately. Chocolate, music, and curiosity share a stimulant effect on the brain. At that moment, about David Bowie, there was the cultural phenomenon of mass attention, fascination, and curiosity about Bowie's persona. And music and curiosity, for me, won out over chocolate. And that's not just waxing poetic. Here are the cold, hard facts. The power of music. And there's a part of the brain called nucleus accumbens, this is where there's an interaction between the auditory and the reward circuits in the brain. It connects with the dopamine neurons. Studies have proven that this is where the pleasure you get from music comes from. When you anticipate music that you like, it induces dopamine release into the nucleus accumbens, where it stimulates your pursuit to get the reward. I guess I forgot about my daily pursuit for chocolate because maybe whatever I tried to satisfy with it was fulfilled by the Bowie phenomenon. That was in the media, like ticker tape confetti fluttering over his legacy. 
I only knew his hits, so I picked up every piece of confetti to look at, read, or listen to. There were 50 years to catch up on. There's another tip. When you try to change your habit, have something rewarding to occupy that time with instead. For example, if you like watching basketball, use the minutes that you would have used to do the habit to get excited and catch up on game scores. And that January in 2016 wasn't the first time that I got absorbed in music. How come all the other times didn't break the chocolate bar habit? I think it was because of timing. I regularly make playlists for the hair studio and time flies, but I do it after dinner and that wasn't my chocolate bar time. But when I was exploring Bowie's music that week in 2016, I was doing it in all my free time during the day. It was hitting at those times in the day when I would have wanted chocolate and it wasn't passive searching like when it is when I'm making a playlist for work. As you know, and so do research studies, listening to music creates feelings of excitement and euphoria. So does eating chocolate. My six years without chocolate bars has proven that I don't have weak willpower. Then why, when I used to eat them, did I feel like I was addicted to it? Even when it was dark chocolate with a high percentage of cocoa. Chocolate bars are luxurious. Though you already know what it feels like to eat chocolate, researchers used words like excitement, euphoria, and comforting. That was in an in-person study in 2019, approved by the University of North Dakota by the research team Casperson and all. They wrote that chocolate has a unique ability compared to other high-sugar and high-fat foods to prompt addictive-like eating and feelings of euphoria. Dark chocolate has bioactive compounds, theobromine and caffeine, combined with added sugar. And this combination activates brain activity that responds to craving-inducing stimuli. Here are definitions for the next part. Modulate means to pass gradually from one state to another, or to vary the strength, quality, or amount of something. Neuronal transmission is the flow of chemical signals between neurons through electrical impulses. The researchers wrote that chocolate has the ability to modulate both the opioid and the dopamine neurotransmitter systems, meaning the dopamine system stimulates want and pursuit, and the opioid system amplifies pleasure. Going without a chocolate bar for three days was a hurdle that I hadn't achieved in years. I had tried, and when I had tried, I knew why I should stop. I'd read in 2013, Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us, and I'd read Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, by the leading public health authority on it, Dr. Robert Lustig, who's a pediatric neuroendocrinologist. And I'd watched his lecture on YouTube way back in 2012, titled Sugar, the Bitter Truth. He explained what's happening to signals in the brain with the hormone leptin when the body is out of whack from sugar saturation, specifically in children. How much sugar you ate as a child could have altered your brain's response to sugar. And I knew what to do to change my behavior. I'd read The Power of Habit in 2013, and I understood the concept to stop it. Habits have three parts. A cue, a routine, and a reward. In the past, though, it hadn't clicked for me. The time that I most often had a chocolate bar was after work. The cue was getting off work, 
The routine was going past the store, and the reward was buying the chocolate bar. What about you? What habit is your weakness, and what's the cue that makes you do it? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. The book told of a study I didn't forget. It was done with rats running through a maze, sniffing for chocolate. Neuroscientists monitored their brain activity. The more times the rats went through the maze to get to the chocolate, there was less brain activity, like they were on autopilot. Have you been like that? That was me. So I knew, for years. But in 2016, I had a three-day head start. I hadn't had the reward for three days. And the habitual craving wasn't there. I had a window of opportunity to change the habit. So for the next few days, I changed my routine after work. I didn't go past the store. Fortunately, my ride came before I got impatient. In the past, if I got impatient, I'd give in to the urge and go to the store. What else did I change? I started eating a handful of nuts after work. Who knew? The fat and protein in them could satiate the cravings for sweets. Well, actually, I did know. I just didn't do it very often before. That was the power in the chocolate. Oh, I also listened to music on the way home. It would have been David Bowie. I was listening to his albums chronologically. It's your turn. What would you do if you had to change your behavior and your routine so that you didn't fall back into your habit? The reason we do a habit isn't always because we like it. Sometimes it's to satiate another need. In the book, the author said he used to take a snack break and talk to coworkers. He tried to stop the snacking, but couldn't until he realized the reward was actually gossiping with coworkers. The snack was the excuse to do it. For me, the reward was to feel like I had me time after I'd been meeting the needs of clients all day. Like this chocolate is just for me. No one else. Music does that for me too. So without realizing it, I had replaced the reward. You don't have to read the entire book to figure out your own reward system. It's on Charles Duhigg's website in an article titled "How Habits Work." The link is in the show notes at heyshay.com. H e y s h a i. I continue to consume everything about Bowie. There was coverage for weeks of how his aesthetic had impacted the arts in decade after decade, in six decades. It was his persona that drove my curiosity more than the music, and like a lot of people, I dived right in, into all of his albums, his influences, who he influenced, and his paintings, and a list he'd made of his favorite books. The curiosity was rewarded every time with enchanted wonder. Various research studies have found that the brain activity when you're pursuing your curiosity stimulates the dopamine reward system. You already know, so does chocolate. Seeking rewarding information is a state of wanting, and the anticipation of finding it is the motivator. Now it's your turn again. When you're transitioning out of your habit, how could you use curiosity and wonderment to support the change?
It takes a long time to make a five-hour playlist of 50 years of Bowie's influences and who he influenced. Usually at the salon, I play music that suits the space, and it isn't music that I personally connect to. Since Bowie's death was a cultural phenomenon, and my playlist wasn't just his music, it was many artists that were influenced by him and that he collaborated with, I played it at the salon. So I wasn't putting all my own interests on hold all day, which meant I didn't need me time. I mean, chocolate time after work. At that time in 2016, when a client would arrive late, I'd still take them, and then I'd have to rev myself up to get done on time. And if I couldn't do it, it would spill over into the next appointment. I'd miss lunch, water breaks, bathroom breaks, and be revved up for hours. And I know there's a lot of you that can relate to that. To endure that stress, your body releases higher levels of cortisol. Researchers at Ghent University in Belgium wanted to know if higher levels of cortisol induced eating sweet, fatty snacks as comfort food. The answer was yes. Do you know how they confirmed this? By checking the salivary cortisol level. Assuming that I had a higher salivary cortisol level when I left work most days, the time when I used to want a chocolate bar, had my heightened curiosity in music influenced me in not wanting a chocolate bar? A study at a French university in 2003 found that listening to relaxing music after a stressful task stopped the salivary cortisol level from increasing. On the other hand, if there was silence, it continued to increase for another 30 minutes. So if I had a stressful day at the salon and didn't listen to music after or on the way home, the salivary cortisol level would be influencing the urge for a chocolate bar for another 30 minutes. Now what about you? How could you include me time in your day? When you're wrapping up at work or during a break, could you listen to your favorite music on headphones? If you did have a stressful day, would you go to sleep early? Because the ultimate me time is sleep, and getting 7-8 to eight hours increases your willpower for the next day. Lack of a good night's sleep increases cravings for sugar, carbs, and salt by 30-40%. to 40%. One of the reasons is endocannabinoids. They're chemicals in the brain that increase the munchies by stimulating the tongue's sweet taste receptors. It's in the book, Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams by Matthew Walker, PhD. In the beginning, it was important to me to count the days without the habit, because when I went past the store, I'd pause for a second to maybe go in. The only reason I didn't was because I didn't want to break my record. But as my body got used to less sugar, eventually the decision was coming from a rationally balanced mindset about it. So I didn't count the days anymore. I still felt cautious about eating chocolate and feared falling back into the habit. Six months later, I was buying chocolate truffles as a gift for someone else. I bought one for myself to see if I could eat just one or would I devour the gift. Instead of gobbling mine as soon as I was out of the shop, like I used to, I left it in my bag and forgot about it. When I got home and found it in my bag, I didn't feel like eating it and put it in the fridge. 
The next day, I ate it out of obligation because I wanted to know what would happen. I didn't enjoy it. It was too sweet. I was relieved about that because life without a chocolate bar habit is more balanced emotionally. There are probably many habits you don't have anymore that you've forgotten about. Ask someone who's known you for a long time to point out a habit you used to do. You probably lost the habit when the circumstances changed. What is it about your current circumstances that make you do the current habit you want to quit? What could you change about your circumstances? Instead of focusing on setting a date to quit the habit, pay attention to when there's an opportunity to break the routine in the habit. Don't set a date because there's no momentum there to start. Wait for the opening when the routine is naturally altered. You worked late and the store was closed or the snack was sold out. That's when you say, now, and have another reward to replace in that slot for now, like fitness or challenge to improve at a hobby. So when the queue is triggered again, you have another route and reward to head to. A week after Bowie died, I think it was 10 days after, I was getting ready to close up the salon for the day. The music that was playing was the playlist inspired by Bowie. It had been on shuffle for hours. Some songs had played more than once. Then a song came on that hadn't played before. Somehow it had gotten skipped over. It wasn't one of his. It was a gentle celestial song that soared with a choir of seven background singers. There was a cello and violin, along with a foundation of bass, drums, and guitar. I turned out the lights in the studio and stared out the window at the neon ones from Granville Street. They were neon blue and neon yellow, shining from the signs on the music venues, the Orpheum and the Vogue. As I listened to the music, I crossed my arms like an X over my heart. One hand was on my shoulder and my chin was resting on it. I stood there looking out at the twilight, listening to the music, feeling the music. I knew I was feeling for one last time what it felt like to live in a world when Bowie was creating in it. On top of one of the music venues, the Vogue Theater, there's a beacon, a winged figure in neon yellow that looks like it's stepping off into flight. I was looking at it when I said, goodbye, David Bowie, and thank you, David Jones. Everything about chocolate is not moderate. It's not made with moderate ingredients, including the making of cocoa. Most of the world's cocoa is produced in West Africa. In Canada, there are 2 million children aged 10 to 14. In Ghana and the Ivory Coast, most of the 2 million children doing hard labor on cocoa farms are aged 12 to 16. Some number of them are enslaved. According to a Washington Post expose in 2019, the budget of the anti-child trafficking police in the Ivory Coast is $5,000. Chocolate sales in the U.S. were 19 billion in 2017, according to a Vox article. In the 2000s, the media put attention on child labor in the chocolate industry. Then the attention went away. Meanwhile, there are more black children doing hard labor than 20 years ago. And what we hear more about now is how chocolate is a health benefit to yourself. The excuse is to eat one square a day because it's healthy because of the flavanols and antioxidants. There are articles breaking that myth like the one in the Washington Post titled, Is Chocolate Healthy? Alas, the answer isn't sweet. They said the healthy flavanols are in cocoa. 
that's then used to make chocolate. And the studies of its health benefits are done at high concentrations of flavanols. You'd have to eat a lot of chocolate bars. And many of those studies are biased because they're funded by chocolate brands. Vox Media did an article about that, titled, Dark Chocolate is Now a Health Food, Here's How That Happened. They examined 100 chocolate studies that were pro-health, and all of them are funded by one well-known brand of chocolate bar. The article is linked in the show notes. And choose your chocolate responsibly. Fair trade chocolate. Whatever your habit is, I hope this show gave you some ideas on how to think about it differently. And if you want to refer to the books, they are in the show notes at heishay.com, H-E-Y-S-H-A-I. P.S. After the show is released, about two months later, I got some feedback from Sarah, the woman who was in the show, and another listener who was inspired to create a habit. The first update is from Sarah. It's been about three months since I was able to cut out my stress eating of chocolate and still treating myself to a bit of chocolate here and there. And I used a lot of the same strategies that were mentioned in the original podcast to just replace that comfort with something else. Started bringing nuts to work and realized that it wasn't about the chocolate bar. It was more about the me time that I got while I was eating the chocolate bar. I'm really happy that I've been able to stick with it. It was more about changing the habit than anything. And the next update is from a listener named Matt, two months after he started a new habit of exercising. I know from speaking to him that it wasn't just about turning on a workout playlist. It was more about using the time to exercise as this is going to be the time to discover more about music. In the show, I had talked about how exploring music I was curious about had been a catalyst to break my habit. You know, I couldn't think of any habits I wanted to break, but uh, I could think of a habit I wanted to form. So I took a step from your playbook and tried to combine music with exercise to motivate me to exercise more regularly. I wanted to make sure it was music that I was excited by and music that I could move in rhythm to, and it worked. It really helped motivate me, helped me get excited to work out. And I've been able to keep it up very consistently. In the show, I talked about the connection between music and dopamine. Since then, I've heard the neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on his podcast, episode number 39, talk about not listening to music on a phone when you exercise and instead have the music on in the room and not to be using your phone. And not because it's a distraction, because that phone causes a dopamine increase and that removes the pleasure and excitement from the activity you're doing. And then that makes the activity you're doing less exciting, which eventually makes you want to do that activity less and just play with your phone. It's something to more than think about, because when I broke my habit and I was listening to music, as well as doing other activities, I was listening to it on speakers in the room. I hope you enjoyed today's show as a resource. I can only continue producing valuable free content as an independent podcaster with your support for the making of this show. It's not too late to do it. Think of it like a tip jar, and it takes one click to do it at heyshay.com, H-E-Y-S-H-A-I.